Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, this is Jeffrey Hazlett, and this past week on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, we've been revisiting some of our most popular guests of the last year. What a way to close out our Blitz Week. Uh, many of you know Andrew Zimmerman from Eating Bizarre Foods Around the World, but he's more than just a TV star. Behind the scenes, he's worked tirelessly to combat food insecurity, help restaurant workers with substance abuse problems, and has taken up the cause to improve the quality of food in our prison system. And we get to hear about his brand new show coming to the Magnolia Network in this episode. Andrew, welcome back to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you, Jeffrey. Good to see you. Tell me about this new show. Uh, it just dropped. Their six first six episodes are on uh, Discovery Plus, which is free to AT and T subscribers, Verizon subscribers. Forget one of the big phone companies. Uh, you you get it free. I think they have a, a seven day trial uh, subscription, so you can log on to Discovery Plus, which streams everything from all your HGTV favorites, your Food Network favorites, your uh, cooking channel favorites, DIY, Great American Country, on and on and on. All the Discovery uh, networks as well. So, uh, so that's Discovery, Discovery Science, Discovery Kids. Uh, it's massive. On that platform is the new Magnolia Network, the partnership between Chip and Joanna Gaines and uh, Discovery. And I have a new show on that network uh, that drops uh, linear uh, January 2022, but they're putting the whole first season out on the streamer D+. So go and watch it. So it's, it's cool. It's called family dinner. It's great. I run around the country and have dinner with families and tell their stories. And we, the, the casting on it is just amazing. The stories that we tell these families are so fantastic. It is the perfect time as we're emerging cool. into the spring after this horrific year uh, to be celebrating American families after we spend so much time with our own. Um, it's nice to see other families and get inspired uh, from them. And of course, you know, Bizarre foods, delicious destinations, driven by food, the Emmy-winning Zimmern list, all the all my other shows that I made for that uh, company are up there on the streamer as well. Well, if we get time, we'll talk about how much TV has changed because it sure has from the days that we first. It, I, was, I actually just I, I just came out of a meeting, and and perhaps it's a it's a C-suite discussion for another day. Yeah. Uh, but as the as the owner of a production company and a marketing business and a hospitality company, they're all sort of in this one warehouse space here in Minneapolis. I can tell you that I spend uh, hours every day just trying to keep up on the changes this year in yeah. television. The the year to date change where we are in in the media business as a whole today versus a year ago especially now that everything can be digitized is being digitized yeah. and is being monetized right with ntfs uh, people are now uh, trying to monetize uh and and put options up on on silicon valley ideas and i think the next thing is going to be entertainment ideas. I mean, it's just around the corner. Everything that can be digitized and monetized will be digitized and monetized. 
Well, I always say adapt, change, or die. And that's certainly the way it, when it comes to broadcasting. We knew that in the podcast business, the TV yep. business with C-Suite TV and C-Suite Radio. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, next time you come through Sioux Falls, your dinner's on me. Come by the house. I, I know I won't be interesting enough for the cameras, but we'll sit we'll sit on my bridge on the big Sioux River, drink a fine wine, and have a nice dinner. So that's that's that is my idea of a good time. You got it. Mine too. You know, hey, last time we spoke, we were very early on in the pandemic, and we talked a lot about food insecurity and the inequities of food production. What do you think uh, COVID nineteen has done to expose our food chain as food supply chain? Well, I, I think it's, you know, taken, it, it's not just removed the blanket on the bed. It's taken the, the, the duvet, the blanket, the sheets. I mean, we're right down to the box spring and we can see the wear and tear and we can see that we need it replaced. And we can see that not flipping it every couple of years and looking at it has, uh, created a, a brittle infrastructure and the the initial days, especially that the first six, eight weeks of the uh, pandemic, I think revealed all of the problems. I think since then we've received a lot of data that it's, you know, adversely affected uh, 30, 40% of Americans, primarily uh, people of color, um, the people who we're trying to help the most, it has hurt the most. And I, I think that the, uh, to me, this, the saddest part of the whole thing is is that by not addressing the pandemic, our economy suffered. And every month that our economy suffered, we saw more and more millions of people drop from just above the poverty line to just below the poverty line. And what that does to uh, our economy is massive. First of all, they don't have any extra money to put uh, back into the system. So that's a that is that is one economic issue, but it also increases the pressure on the rest of us, uh, you know, uh, health insurance, public programs, taxes, et cetera. And you, you don't see it right away. We, you know, this is still the greatest country on planet earth, the richest country on planet earth. Uh, nobody loves this country the way I love this country. Uh, and so I don't want anyone to misunderstand my, my critique of it as being anything other than trying to see the love of my life, my nation maintain its stature, uh, both within our borders and our image abroad. But when you take that kind of hit, you don't see the problem right away. We, you know, states have emergency, uh, funds they can dip into. The Fed has emergency funds it can dip into. But we're going to start to see the effects in the coming months as all of those people, and yes, I think the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan will go quite a way towards helping. Uh, and I'm hoping it does the whole job, especially as summer rolls around and production can increase. We're in another growing season for 12, uh, for all 50 of our states coming through, right? I mean, things had this happened, you know, in the middle of the winter would have been a different story. Um, but it is going to put a very, very large uh, toll, uh, a lot of pressure on our economy. And uh, hopefully we're up for it. I I. I pray that we will be, and I and I hope that the $1.9 trillion uh, is well spent. Some of the financial uh, backstopping that we saw over the course of the last year, um, uh, you know, dollars went to a lot of big corporations that didn't need them. We need to put that money into the hands of Americans who are going to spend that money, right? And those who need it the most. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I tell people all the time who get in my face about it, I say, look, I'm, I, 
I'm very transparent. I'm I'm a one percenter. I'm getting none of that money, nor do I want any of that money. Right. I want it to go to all the people that work for me that you know don't earn as much that need uh, the financial backstopping, and they're I, you know, I talk to them every day. They're they're putting that right back into the economy. So uh, it's very very important. The 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 specific question about our our food system, you know we. We've had an immigration issue that this isn't left or right or red or blue. I mean, everyone since Jimmy Carter has kicked this can down the road. Um, I'm hoping that uh, the current administration addresses the uh, immigration issue uh, and does what no president has done for the last uh, 50 or 60 years, which is create a a system that we don't have to continue to worry and debate about who comes into this country, who's allowed to work, who pays taxes, et cetera, et cetera, because that is a – that is a crushing, crushing impact uh, on our uh, farming, packing, picking, fishing, livestock, rearing and raising. Says our food economy relies on immigrant workforce, and we just have to we we just have to accept that fact. We profiled it in my MSNBC show, What's Eating America, and I, I could spend hours talking to you about it. But that that immigration reform. Uh, bill that we've been waiting for for 50 years. I hope that it that it happens and passes and is signed on the president's desk over the course of the next three years, because that would be the biggest help to that industry. And I think in general, what we need to do is we need to professionalize it. We need to provide health insurance, paid maternity leave, all the other things that uh, a job, uh, most other jobs go to. And I think we need to, you know, raise the minimum wage. Uh, I think that the the tests and the studies have all shown that this has a positive net net effect. I'm for it, especially with food workers. Um a very special group that has put themselves uh, out there time and time again. These are the people that feed all Americans and we need to be taking better care of them. Speaking of taking care, I need to take care of a few of my sponsors. Let me take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we are back and we are live casting right here on LinkedIn and Facebook as I bring you all business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on C-Suite Radio. Of course, we're talking to Andrew Zimmerman. And Andrew, of course, has a brand new show on the Magnolia Network, so make sure you check that out. We're talking about food insecurity um, with the economy, everything that's uh, happening that's a result of the pandemic. And let's talk more about that. After what the pandemic did to the restaurant industry, do you think the re- what, what do you think the recovery looks like? Are we going to see more ghost kitchens? Well, I, th- I I think we are because some people see that as a as a short term solution that is a lot less costly, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's easier for a food operator to get into a ghost kitchen. Now, there's already here in the Twin Cities, and and this is. This is uh, well. I'm going to I'm going to say it's a little more than anecdotal, but it's not uh, demographically fact checked, shall we say? Um, over the last four weeks, uh, Governor Walls in our state has continued uh, well twice uh, now over the last month to relax uh, the number of diners who were allowed inside a restaurant space to eat. And we've been relaxing a bunch of uh, other restrictions in our state as well. We are slightly ahead of the national average on vaccination, but we were way ahead weeks ago. And so our state is in the enviable position of having lots of vaccine for anybody who who wants it. Uh, a month ago, I didn't know very many people who were vaccinated unless they were over 70. Uh, now, 
the 20 people in my office, every single person, but one is vaccinated. Um, wow. And, uh, you know, and that, and that's just by circumstance, they, they would be, uh, and I think will be this week. Um, so it just goes to show you the difference. And, and it's, it's, it's really an incredible thing. So our governor keeps relaxing the, the data. I'm a member of the twin cities restaurant coalition, as well as the national uh, entity, the independent restaurant coalition. I'm a co-founder of both. And we we just had an independent restaurant, co- uh, Twin Cities Restaurant Coalition meeting, excuse me. Uh, and I also did a, uh, a press event on the uh, Restaurants Act and budget reconciliation with uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, our senior senator from Minnesota. And so I've been talking to hundreds of restaurant owners uh, around Minnesota, primarily in the Twin Cities. All of them, all of them report a massive drop in uh delivery and to go, all of them. Now, these are restaurants whose primary business was not delivery and to go, right? So what this tells me is that people are now dining in and they're starting to change their habits back to what it may have been pre-COVID, all right? Now, this is just a hint of things to come. So I think- think You think the pendulum's going to swing all the way though? Uh, no, I think it's going to go back and forth. I, I think like an actual pendulum, if you if you yeah. shut your eyes and imagine a pendulum, it swings back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And eventually the, the movements of the arc are shorter and of shorter duration in time. And then it settles down into one place. I don't know what the new settling point is. And I do believe it's going to go back and forth, especially state to state. I mean, people all over the country are listening to this right now. So I can only tell you what's happening today in Minnesota. But as of today, I have 20, 30 restaurants that are all reporting. These are all sit-down restaurants that you would previously go into, not fancy pants restaurants, just restaurants whose primary business was not to go in delivery service, right? So if you're a pizza establishment, I'll make it up. 60, 70% of your business is to go in delivery, right? Right. Uh, So we're not talking about those kind of restaurants. We're not talking about fast food or QSR. We're talking about sit-down, independently-owned restaurants. Every single one of them reports a drastic, I'm talking about 60, 70% dip in to-go and delivery orders. Now, they're seeing a rise in people eating in. And the reason that I bring this up is a brilliant question about ghost kitchens, which was one of the big pivots, right? Everyone pivoted to delivery and to take out and, you know, trying to be the corner store and all the rest of this kind of stuff. But the big one is ghost kitchens. And there are a lot of aggregators who are putting big money and investment into it. And I'm I'm thinking they may be out guessing the marketplace. I could be the dumbest guy in the world, but I think ghost kitchens are one of those things, you know, young people, the number one thing that, uh, the, the last two generations uh, have said demographically, and there are very serious studies on this, their number one uh, uh, benchmark for where they spend their money is transparency. Mm. Ghost kitchens, by their very nature, are not transparent. It's it's a little bit of a you know smoke and mirrors. I mean, no one's lying or fibbing. You know, you know that there's not a physical space. It's an aggregated kitchen. Quite frankly, as a customer, I don't care if the food is good. The food is good. I just think this ghost kitchen thing may be one of those deals that you know, kind of like uh, Blu-ray players, uh, is popular mm. for a year or two and then uh, goes into the dustbin of history. I think people want to know where their food is from. You know, but a lot of restaurants did a really good job. I mean, for a lot of years, if you went for takeout at a regular restaurant, a good restaurant, they did a really crappy job. Of course job. they did. It, it, and, but during but COVID, they, had, they got they had really to. good at it. They had to. They had to change their entire system. You know, the restaurant industry. 
And, and sometimes the menus too, right, Andrew? I mean, they, well, had, they had to. They had yeah, to I because had, you know, I had the founder of Meatballs out of New York, and he, of course, he makes a food that travels well. Yep. But yep. he talks about you know shipping the menu to a food that travels well. I that thought is that was correct. kind of unique. Yeah. Well, you 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 have to remember a restaurant. If you and I open a restaurant that is going to do seventy percent to go and delivery, we know that how it's packaged, and we want it when it leaves our kitchen. If you open it up an hour later in your house, we still want it to look fresh and taste good. If yeah. you and I own a French bistro somewhere, what are we going to do with our French onion soup? How did it, it yeah. just doesn't it just doesn't translate? Right, it's yeah. not the same. So you have to change your menu. The other the other issue is when restaurants are seeing 60, 70% decline in total sales, they have to remake their menus because they have to account for fewer workers. They have to account for different food coming in the back door consistently, right? So there's a lot of reasons why they had to do that. The restaurant community, especially the independent restaurant community, is the most creative and vibrant source of of phenomenalness that I know of. I'm biased. I've been in that industry for 40 plus years, but I can tell you right now, no other industry was asked to pivot 17 different times in every state in the union. Uh, one month you're allowed 50% dining. The next month you're not. Uh, one month you can have a, a pickup service. The next month you can't. On and on and on. The, you know, Pivot, 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 pivot. To the point that if you say that, it's a dirty word to restaurant people now. They just don't want to hear it. Um, I am I am very bullish because now the warm weather has arrived and we did get twenty eight point uh, six billion dollars uh, in the uh, American Rescue Plan. Uh, you know that funding, I mean, is is absolutely absolutely crucial to folks. Um, it's grant support for restaurants hit hardest by the pandemic. And they can be used alongside the PPP and IDLE and the employee retention tax credit so that vulnerable business can vulnerable businesses can survive the remainder of this crisis. Um, you know, it's administered by the SBA. I, I hope they're changing their uh, submission request forms. I mean, right now, little family run restaurants have to use the same forms that defense contractors do. It, it, it's, it's very horrendous. It's, yeah, it's very, horrendous. It's yeah, very, it's very like it's like thirty five pages of, of that's of that's exactly jumbo right. mumbo. That's yeah. exactly right. Uh, but I am very very bullish uh, on some of the really important aspects of this. You know, the biggest set aside there is five billion dollars of the twenty five billion dollar total is reserved for restaurants that have less than a half million dollars a year in gross receipts. Uh, well, in twenty nineteen uh, and the SBA administrators can create other tiers. Uh, what this does is it allows them to prioritize uh, awarding grants to eligible restaurants, entities that are owned or controlled by uh, women, veterans, uh, so socially and economically disadvantaged businesses, uh, businesses that are owned by people of color and other demography as defined by existing SBA codes. And that's great because again, you know, some of my restaurants that I'm involved in, I, I, I don't want to take money. I'm happy to wait for the next tranche, right? I mean, so, I have the ability, yeah. I have the ability to exist without it. I want to make sure this goes to those small restaurants on Main Street USA uh, that can't, and the Independent Restaurant uh, Coalition is working very, very hard for that. C-Suite Radio. Andrew, you don't sound like a regular restaurant guy. When I talk to most restaurant people, you're 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 a lot more socially, uh, I don't know what the word I would, first of all, active about it in terms of being much more articulate about the problem, uh, a deeper thinker about it. How did you come by that? 
Uh, well, that's that's very kind of you. Um, I, I was exposed to all the right ideas when I was young. And uh, like a lot of other people, I gave my parents the finger. Uh, I, you know, went down a, a horrific into a, a horrific hellhole of addiction and alcoholism. And what you've been out of that for what? 28 years, I think, as I saw 29 plus. Thank you, my friend Good for you. Good uh, for you so, you know, when I, when I got sober, uh, I, I didn't know how to stay sober. Like I could, I could not drink for a day, but I didn't know how I was going to do it for any longer than that. And some of my mentors in my uh, recovery and 12 step groups uh, taught me that the secret was doing things for other people. And over the course of the 29 years that I've been clean and sober, and by the way, these are spiritual teachings that have been, you know, written about codified for thousands of years. I mean, tens of thousands of years in some cases, Uh, my parents, uh, by the way, they they have some of it in the Bible. Just so you know, that, that is very true. (laughs) Old Testament. (laughs) Not Uh, so much. (laughs) The, but it it, it really is true. I mean, doing things for other people uh, is the secret to happiness. It creates empathy. I mean, you ask anyone out there, I I am not thinking about my own problems when I'm doing stuff for other people. So on one hand, there's a little bit of selfishness involved here. In the other hand, um, I do have a deep and abiding faith that I'm going to be okay. I mean, that is, I don't have certainty, but I have I have I have an abiding faith that that I will be taken care of. I also have been taken care of historically over the last 20 years better than I deserved. So it, it's my obligation with the platform that I have uh, to work hard for those that have less. And I'm I'm not trying to put myself up on any kind of pedestal. Oh, it's man. just personally how I navigate life. If I wasn't spending, I mean, look, my my board of directors wished I spent less time working on other people and more time working on me, but they also understand that the magic to our brand and people who go to andrewzimmern.com, please visit that website, go to our partners page, see who we work with, why we work with them, what we're involved in. Uh, I think it's really, really, really uh, important stuff. And it is the secret, not only to my happiness, but I think to a lot of our success as a business comes from doing things for other people. Um, I, I, you know, look, there, there are a lot of people who say, yeah, well, if you didn't, you'd have X percentage points going back to your own bottom line. I said, yeah, but we'd be less happy, less vibrant, less, more miserable, higher employee turnover. You know, people wouldn't want to work here. We, and, and, and less people, successful. Quite frankly, less successful. Less successful. I, with that, you know, our C-suite network is a big piece of it is the more you give, the more you get. And right that's on. the way it works. And if you sit there with a catcher's mitt waiting for it to come to you, it's never going to come. No one's going to ever throw the ball. You got to throw the ball to somebody else before they want to play catch. And that's, that's a lesson I learned. I want to ask you one last question. As I was making a drive a month ago across the country, I was driving a truck back from New York to South Dakota. And, you know, I didn't want to stop in a lot of restaurants didn't have the time. I was really hustling to get home. So I stopped at a fast food restaurant, McDonald's, and there was a long line. In fact, there was two lines of cars. So I downloaded the app real quick and had my food brought out to me. And that was kind of a, revel- a revelation that I, I, I looked at and I said, this is going to change the way fast food restaurants operate. Biggest, There's going biggest to be change. more car lines and less in, you know, fast, casual seating, I think. It, it's think actually going to happen? It's actually going to be bigger than that. Uh, you know, everyone knows where you are based on your phone. And if you allow the recipient to know where you are. Uh, you know, if you, you know, you go on your smartphone, you know, it doesn't matter what platform it is, uh, and you uh, put in the search engine, uh, uh, 
pizza nearest me. It will ask you if you wanted to share your location so that it can actually tell you what pizza places are nearest you. So the next big wave is not having you drive somewhere and be where your car is. It's not having delivery to your house because both of those things already exist. It's wherever you are, it's going to be brought to you, right? So this has been going on in airports now for about 10 years. I was involved with a startup group that was actually doing this where anywhere on the concourse where you were sitting, any of the restaurants on that concourse, the food would just be brought to you. So you didn't have to get up. You didn't have to miss the announcement for your flight and on and on and on. That same technology is, uh, is readily available. It's become inexpensive enough. And I think within the next year, once we get people back to being in communal space together, and that I think will happen this summer. And once we reach that herd immunity and knock on wood, everything goes the way it's supposed to go. That's supposed to be September on October. I predict by Q4 2021, Q1 2022, everyone is going to be hearing a lot more about companies. That's why I'm less I'm less bullish on ghost kitchens and more bullish on robotic kitchens, digital delivery systems, and other things that actually integrate the the customer and the restaurant fully 24-7, 365, where whatever you need will be supplied to you on demand when you want it. The same way that we have dealt uh, with movies and books. And I mean, hey, with Amazon, I can, I can at three in the morning, I can order a, an electric juicer and it will show up within the next 24 hours, right? Or, or, uh, sh- I, or shorter if you've or got a short, locker That's nearby. exactly right. Exactly. That's exactly right. And I think that same thing is going to happen uh, to food and not just quick serve uh, stuff. You mentioned that it was a fast food restaurant that you visited. You're going to see that in, in mid-level and up and upscale restaurants like crazy because their secret, they can only bring a certain percentage to the bottom line, right? So the way you bring more money to the bottom line is more customers. So if you could just get 40, 50 extra covers a night by sending the food where people want it, well, that's going to be magical. But nothing takes away from the, when I walk into the Brandon Steakhouse, Okay. Nothing the most expensive item on the entire menu is $21. Okay. And I sit down at my table and Daryl brings me over that double scotch with a little extra pour. Yep. You're not going to get that. You're not going to get that. With well, that's the hospitality business and yeah. the, the successful people in the delivery space. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a really interesting story that I find fascinating. There are some restaurants that have been more successful at delivery than others. And the places that I, because I tried to spend a lot of money in restaurants, anyone that was delivering in my community, I wanted to bring in food. And there were places that had special little packaging and they stuck a little note or there was an extra appetizer. And if you're a regular, there's a Thai restaurant near near my house, and we ordered the family ordered out from there the other night. I don't know them. It's a I don't want to call it a no name restaurant, but it's like we we had moved during the pandemic. Long story short, they had no idea who I was. There was no sort of Andrew Zimmern special treatment, and uh, the the order came back to the house. Uh, my son had gone to get it. And uh, there's a little card in there that said, hey, this this was your 10th time. Uh, it was handwritten. This is your 10th time ordering from us. Wow. We're a family run restaurant. Uh, we're barely making it, but we are surviving. But thanks to customers like you consistently ordering from us, we've been able to make it. And so from the bottom of our hearts, and there was this little shrimp appetizer, but it was the card that yeah. made 
that that made the difference. And to me, that's the pandemic version of the double scotch with an extra finger over ice and yep. and the general manager who says, you know, hey, Mr. H, great to see you. Right. I mean, yeah, that's and the that's, and, and, and you'll go back again and again times. and again. I will, exactly. I will never eat at another Thai restaurant in town, but that one, well, I shouldn't say that because I like to eat at all of them, but you know, <laughs> they, they now have a special place in my heart. They're now my go-to because I now yeah. have a relationship with them. And at its essence, that is the, that is what the restaurant industry is predicated on. I'll leave you with this thought. People think that the restaurant industry is a couple hundred years old in the West, uh, 1500 years old in the, in the far East, and that it's predicated on a financial, uh, relationship, the exchange of goods, uh, services, product for money. I, I disagree. I'm a keen student of food history. People have been exchanging food for money for thousands of years, going back to the earliest trading routes four or 5,000 years ago. I believe that the restaurant industry is predicated on an emotional exchange. You hit your nail on the head on it. I mean, yes, you mentioned the $21 menu item, but yeah. you, that didn't make you smile. It was the no. guy that knows your name and your table Daryl. and your drink, yeah. right? Yeah. That's an emotional exchange. And he knows what you, my wife likes. You right? feel good when you're yeah. in there. And I yeah. truly believe that that restaurateurs and food people who focus on the emotional uh, exchange uh, when it comes to their business will prosper financially more so than people who focus on the financial ex exchange. Amen. Totally believe it. And you heard it right here. Thanks so much, Andrew, for joining us right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. And good luck. And everyone, tune in to Magnolia Network and watch Family Dinner. You got to watch that. Everybody knows about a family dinner, but let's go listen to some of those inspirational, wonderful stories that only Andrew can bring. So thank you so much, Andrew. Thanks, Jeff. See you later. Good to see you, my friend. Likewise, Thanks. buddy. Take it easy. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what did I learn from the show? And it was all about success is tied to doing for other people. Did you hear him talk about the notes, the emotional side of that. I thought that was awesome, but also the way he gives back. I'm always intrigued with my conversation with Andrew. He's the kind of guy I'd love to sit down numerous times and have dinner with just because we would have such great political discussions. Even if we didn't agree, we would have a wonderful discussion, a deep thinker. And you don't always find that with restaurateurs. Now, I'm not trying to knock restaurateurs. They usually are talking about the hospitality of the business. He is talking about the social changes. And I thought that was a great conversation for today's episode. Right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazard, don't forget to tell your friends. And don't forget to visit your local restaurants and make sure you tip extra for them. Thanks so much. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.